0: Come and dream with me.
1: Hello, welcome to What You Want Watch, the explosion of the premier media podcast. Every week we get together to talk about movies, TV and online content, helping into the question, did anybody watch any movies other than Barbie and Oppenheimer last year? I'm your host, Ash Hobbley. Join me today, Dylan Blight.
0: Statistically, I can tell you I definitely did, so...
1: Well, you did, but did the general public watch anything but did. those two movies? Um, it's two out of everybody. Well... Because I mean, on based on how much people were complaining about them snubs this week, yeah. you would think they only watched those two movies.
0: Well, no, that just means they did not watched the other nominated movies. They've only watched two movies.
1: Yeah. Uh, on today's episode, we'll be talking about what's our watch history, going over the film news specifically... Yeah. Uh, the Academy Award nominations. This week, we'll be doing our 2023 year-in-review, thanks to Tract. We'll be giving some thumbs to trailers and giving this week's top three. Uh, kicking things off, Dylan, you've got a review up for Force of Nature, The Dry 2. Giving it a 6 out of 10. Dumb name. Did it lose a point for having a dumb name?
0: <laughs> I think so. Um, So... Yeah, I, I um I like the movie. Like six is okay. It's definitely not the um as good. It's not the fantastic follow up that sort of would have wanted after the first movie. And I think the major cause for this is just how many how the structure of the film and its inability to achieve the sense of dread and like seclusion that the book achieves like i I just feel like it's it's not that the story's bad or anything it's just like it's 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 not a great adaptation i think of the the source material okay um because what happens is the the story for this one is like it's the same character obviously eric Banner, um aaron Falk. uh he's like doing this he's in this one he's actually doing his main job because in the first film that's uh, you know, he's just dragged out to this, t- like the town he grew up in and you hear about how he's like a finance detective or whatever, but you, that's not really what the the film's about. Um, this one, he's he's got this person he's been talking to, Alice, she works at this big place. They're trying to catch out, doing lots of illegal stuff, like money, laundering, whatever else. I don't really go too big into it because it's like, it doesn't really matter. Uh, that person's played by Anna Torv. Uh, she goes out on like a big retreat with five, six of women and six dudes from big heads of the company, CEOs and whatever else. Um, And then she gets lost. They, a lot of her girls come out. She's still in there. Fork gets a call from her in the middle of the night one time, like call cuts out. That's the last he ever hears from. So he goes out there to try and help look. Well, not really. Here's, that's a, and that's what made, I guess, the, the setup for it interesting is it's sort of a thing where, You've got two, you've got two detectives because it's him and um, this other character, um, new detective introduced in this one, played by um, Jacqueline McKenzie. Um, They're, they're down there trying to figure out the mystery, but it's not a case of them actually going into the, the wild and like searching for her. It's just sort of talking to the the girls who escaped and, or like trying to piece together what actually happened because you can't just go wandering around aimlessly, like even though I don't know, maybe in you know, a Hollywood action movie, but in real life, that's not how this would play it. You know, they get down there, they've got the SAS or, you know, the emergency people doing their job. They're they're just talking to people, or whatever else. So it's this thing where he knows that this girl, Alice, has big information they need to close their case. And she supposedly has a USB drive on her that has like the closing pieces to to lock some people away. But it's like a race against time, and hence force of nature, because they have no control about, you know. There's rain coming in, mass storms, and all this sort of stuff. Um, but the film cuts together between that, so current time. It'll then side jump to or s- sidestep to the the girls. There, what happened through their couple nights out there? It'll then flash back at times to Fork like talking to Alice. Prior to everything happening here, and then it'll also flash back at other times to when Fork was a kid, and he so happened to have been on this trail with his mum and dad, and lost his mum during the trial. Like she got lost, and they they couldn't find her. So it's like all these like of stories, and I just don't feel like the film does a good job at pacing it all together and really nailing the 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 sense, which is what the the book did. Uh, and what the movie's trying to do, but doesn't achieve, which is that the, anything could happen out there in that, you know, amongst the trees all alone. Like, is there, a, is there a serial killer out there? Was it one of the women? Was it a fucking bear attack? Was it a, a spider bite? Was it, you know, like there's all these, like you're supposed to have this sense of it could be a million and one things um, and constantly confused about what's going on, but it just doesn't really nail it. So, um, and it doesn't help that all the characters are super unlikable. They're supposed to be, to a degree, but I feel like they just went too far. None of the to people like well, Anna Torb's character Alice, who's the one they're obviously looking for. So you sort of want to. They're trying to ride this line between she's like achieved where she is by knowing she's doing wrong in this company, but now she's helping them. But also, but she's just a complete bitch. Like she, she's like, <laughs> she's terrible, and you can. Ah, so that sort of makes it hard to relate to any of them and stuff. So, um, and then the people who you kind of wish you got more time with, I don't know, like from even Richard Roxenborough, uh big Australian actor, of course, he plays like the CEO of the company um, that they're trying to go after. And he's in it for a handful of scenes. It's like Lee well, brings a lot of charisma and presence to the screen, but he's not in it a lot. Uh, Jacqueline McKenzie, who I think is fantastic, she's not in it quite enough. Uh, and then even getting more Eric Banner, I guess, like actually having. He gets a few scenes where he gets to emote and stuff, but yeah, I I just feel like it, it, it lacks a lot that made the, the first film the success story
1: it was. There you go. So, you, do you think this is uh, going to come close to matching what The Dry did at the box office?
0: I don't know. Because, like, I don't know. It's, it's weird. The Dry is a, a weird, like, COVID success story. Yeah. I don't know it, if part of the, the success was that it was this big Australian film a, that time and of place off, kind of thing, maybe. I know. I would like to believe people would happily go out and support Australian films, but I just don't think that's the thing that happens anyway. Um, <laughs> well, I know that's the thing that doesn't happen. Like you can just look at the box office. So, uh, but I mean, the books still popular. Like the book series is popular. What,
1: what was your audience like? Was it Baron? Mm, you know, th- third, third, not third? bad for like a, an advance screening. I guess that not many yeah. people would have, unless you check in the your cinema schedules you wouldn't know that it's been released yet but totally, um, yeah, yeah so. not super promising from the sound of it though yeah we'll see what it's
0: like yeah obviously it opens this week officially so see what the the stuff is there i mean I, I hope it gets enough because as much as i think this is a bit of a letdown there is one more book so um it's a trilogy so hopefully it gets enough that we can see the third one through and they can call it Fuck, I can't remember what the third book's called, but just whatever the book's called, The Dry Three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, So I went out and watched the new Michael Mann film, Ferrari, uh, starring uh, Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, Shailene Woodley, uh, following uh, Enzo Ferrari uh, during the year of 1957. Uh, Obviously the founder of Ferrari, the uh, sports car manufacturer uh and also like leading like racing team um it follows uh enzo ferrari and the ferrari team in the lead up to the Mal maglia which is like a big open open road race uh race back in the 50s that was like very endurance based it's like a thousand miles whatever big deal um preceding the film a year before his wife and his son uh, Dino had passed away um, kind of causing like a fracture in their marriage and that kind of thing because uh, he kind of promised that uh, he would find a way to keep their son alive but they weren't able to overcome his sickness in the meantime he has a secret family away from his wife uh, with Shanley Woodley's character and their young son uh, and she's, he's being pressured by her to let their son take the Ferrari name because uh, the confirmation is coming up at the same time uh, because because uh, <laughs> they're investing so much money into racing, they're currently going into massive deficit uh, because of you know spending all their money on racing and not selling enough cars. Um, so they're going to have to potentially look at uh, partnering up with another company. Uh, so all this is happening at the same time. Um, it, this film is definitely underwhelming. <laughs> like narratively, there just isn't enough kind of there, and then. On the character front, none of the characters are super engaging enough to be uh, worth investing. Th- this film, it feels like it doesn't have a super solid reason to be. You know, Penelope Cruz is probably the most interesting element of this film, as uh, Enzo Ferrari's wife, um, who you know is learning that her husband has a secret family, uh, and also is like an equal partner in the in the company. Um, She's really engaging. Like, some of the racing stuff is really good. Um, I'm sure you probably heard about the crashes in this film.
0: All I know is that one dude laughed at it, and then Adam told him to fuck off.
1: So there are two prominent... I would say there were two prominent crashes in this film. Both are not good. <laughs> what? I I... Doesn't want to include sure- like kids dying or something, though. Yes. And that's
0: the one that the person laughed at, apparently. So
1: it wouldn't surprise me because it, oh. it is almost cartoonish the way that it is. It's picture. a true story, so it's like so. It's oh. true, but it's still and the, yeah, it, it. I don't think it's done in the most tasteful way that <laughs> it could have been done. Um yeah, it it feels like there's a certain amount of shock and awe about that crash in particular, but even the first crash in which you know a driver is driving around like a test track and like loses control at some point, that is also I could see that eliciting laughs in the in the certain audience. Um, yeah, I don't know. It is not a very engaging film. You know, it was definitely parts of me that's like checking my watch, seeing how much longer this is going to be. Wow. Uh, you look at your watch in the cinema I mean if it's if you want to know how long you still have to go to see do you have a smart watch or a real watch
0: just a real watch okay so you gotta buy for like the screen it be bright so you can see what time it is
1: yeah I used to have like glow in the dark like hands hands on one of them but I think okay I was going
0: to say, yeah. I put my watch on, uh, it's got a smart watch, obviously, and there's a cinema mode, so it, it keeps on and vibrates. If, so it vibrates, and I can know if like something someone's calling me, to, it's important, yeah. I guess, or something. But it doesn't light up, right? But then I, I, I can't check my watch in the cinema, you know, because it, it shuts the screen off. So if you turn your hand, it never lights up and annoys people. Yeah?
1: Mm. Mm. It's a conundrum. S- side note. <laughs> <laughs> uh Yeah, so Ferrari, it's fine. Um, so I also watched a new, newish ish documentary that released on a binge called, uh, Time Bomb Y2K, uh, which kind of delves into the Y2K problem, um, through exclusively like real life footage. There's not like a narrator or talking heads of Vox Pops or anything. Uh, it's all taken. I'm sorry, but some people have said Chris Jericho has a problem at the moment. <laughs> I, t- I had to say it or else it was just
0: going to. Just was going to eat away mind. at you? For yeah, I yeah, just the, had to... Yeah, this segment. Anyway, continue.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah so follow all archival footage uh, kind of documenting the lead-up to uh, the year 2000 and obviously, you know, the Y2K problem, which for young people who may not know, because it is crazy, we, it's in 2024, like, 18-year-olds were born after, you know, the Y2K was a thing. All computer chips, or a lot of computers before the year two thousand. Uh, had the date set to uh, the first two digits automatically set to 19 so it would be 1999, 1998 and all that in order to save data uh, because obviously but back in the day uh, the computing power was very expensive so you know, by remo- automatically setting in stone those two numbers that would save like a bunch of uh, computing power to use uh, in other ways um, but it turns out uh, the theory was that once they got to the year 2000, uh, all computers would automatically just uh, jump back to it, thinking it was 1900. And thus, everything would go to shit. Um, so yeah, it kind of follows, like obviously documents, uh, like how the news covered it during the in the lead up. A lot of prominent figures at the time kind of like trying to warn people and trying to get the government to like spend money to try and solve the problem and that kind of stuff. Um really interesting like elements of like they bring up like people who are kind of take it trying to take advantage of the situation like they have like a montage of like a bunch of like different books that that were published about the Y2K problem and like how to prepare for it and that kind of stuff and like a lot of people trying to make money off the off that kind of stuff um and then you I think it's the I think it's the preachers that um who was Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield portrayed yeah. in that film. They like have a segment like talking about how bad, <laughs> how terrible it is. And it's like God's plan that the devil is behind it all, all this electricity and like, all these problems and that kind of stuff. Um, and even like malicious starting up because they're worried that the government is going to be stockpiling all these, all the resources in the wake of the 2K, like kind I of ruining find it funny Because
0: all those people, obviously you're like crazy, whatever, but it's like one of those things when, I remember when I, um, I don't know, I think I got told about it probably when I was, I don't know, when I was like eight to 10. I remember dad, my dad told me about it, like, cause obviously I was alive, but not, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't really paying enough attention. Um, but I was just I remember thinking like, well, that does make sense. And still to this day, I'm like, it's a question worth asking, I feel. Like I can understand how the question was asked, what happens? I'm like, that's a, that's a fair question. You know, like what happens if the computers, the plane, will the planes drop out of the sky? But then everyone just rolled with it. like so could do it.
1: Yeah, most people were like okay. Well, they did extensive testing and that kind of stuff, uh, beforehand. And there were a lot of it. Like there could have potentially been a problem. Like they would, they like did tests at like a sewage plant and like all the sewerage just completely just shot out in the middle of a park and everything because, <laughs> because because of the issues and like a nuclear power plant they tested they moved like practice moving the date forward and there's like a bunch of stuff like shut down uh like shutting down power to a bunch of places um so like it was a problem that could have potentially uh ruined everything uh but you know a lot of people like put in a bunch of work like the government's put in a lot of money to like uh actually make it seem like it was a seamless transition um so yeah of course really fascinating it's also very amusing like they have a, like a bunch of celebrities like pop up at certain points that have been asked like on press junkets about what they're going to do in y2k it's like the backstreet boys what are you going to do on new year's eve we're going to bunk it down in case the, the world comes never know, man. because also know. the year 2000 was like a in like historically or like religiously like a date that people thought was going to be significant it? yeah like some people believe this, the rapture was going to come or Jesus was going to come back at the, start oh, of the okay. year 2000. So this is that element to the story as well. So really fascinating, even though like like no one's talking in retrospect about the events of that year, like kind of seeing how the story was being told kind of in real time during that period. And like, like even back in that time, they were like fear-mongering and accusing people of like making up the Y2K problem for their own self interests and that kind of stuff. Uh, very fascinating. So, uh, Time Bomb Y2K, very interesting documentary you can check out on Binge. Uh, Dylan, you can also, like, chill out for a second. Relax, put your feet up, because I'm about to talk about some anime. So, there's two anime uh, that I've watched recently. They're only, like, about four episodes in each. One is Solo Leveling, which is an anime over on Crunchyroll. Uh, it's set in a Wait, world- hold on.
0: Just quick- I'll have nothing to say for the rest of the time you continue. I might check that out.
1: Yeah. I was looking at
0: it the other day. I, I, I opened the Crunchyroll app. I went, I'm too tired. <laughs> 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 but anyway, that's my two cents. I got nothing else to say. Okay. Continue
1: on. So this is, yeah, it's an anime set in a world in which uh, portals have started to like pop up filled with uh, dungeons and monsters and that kind of stuff. Uh, and if they aren't conquered, uh, they kind of all the monsters kind of break out into the real world. Uh, at the same time, like a bunch of people have been awakened and have like hunter abilities, I guess, um, special skills or skill sets to be able to go into these portals uh, and just take out enemies. Uh, they're all kind of ranked on 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 uh, some sort of power reading. Um, we follow. Uh, character called uh, uh sung jin Woo, uh who is a rank e fighter or hunter basically the bottom of the bottom like barely scrapes in to be classified as a hunter and is a uh, seemingly useless in every single uh, dungeon he goes through uh but he does go into a dungeon with a bunch of other like low-ranking uh people they come across a secret second dungeon um which is uh, much more than they expect. And uh, after this traumatic experience, uh, Sung Wu gets, like, I don't know, he gets put into the system uh, after, like, almost dying, which is, like, seems to... Still early days, so it's, like, it's also very much a slow burn, like, everything isn't set up, like, first episode. Um, but it seems like he's got, like, a uh, MMO-almost-esque interface, And he's able to level up his abilities as a hunter, something that isn't possible amongst other hunters. Once you've got your ability, you're just, that's what you are from birth or whatever. Um, So, yeah, really fascinating, really dark, uh, very violent at times. Um, But, you know, if you're into those, uh, you know, MMO like anime shows, you know, isekai shows, um, this one obviously set in something close to the real world uh really good very fascinating really well animated um definitely worth checking out and it's obviously it's got a bunch of hype around it uh probably one of the more popular new simulcasts this season uh and then i've also been watching delicious in dungeon uh a new uh anime that's currently streaming on netflix uh it's being produced by trigger uh who obviously did uh the cyberpunk anime Uh, so this one is set in, like, against some sort of fantasy world, uh, in which there's like an under, giant underground dungeon that people are trying to explore. Um, so we start off with this group of six adventurers, they come face to face with the red dragon, uh, subsequently get absolutely hammered, uh, and the team mage kind of teleports as many of her teammates out as possible, including the leader, which is her brother, um she gets eaten by the dragon subsequently, uh, and her brother wants to go back into the dungeon so they can recover his his sister's remains at least before she is fully digested. Uh, but because they lost all their equipment, they've got no money. So how are they supposed to afford to go back into the dungeon, uh, all the way down the solution? They're going to cook the stuff they find inside the dungeon, including the many enemies they have to face. Fortunately, they come across a, uh, uh a dwarf named uh Senchi who has uh, been sustaining himself inside the dungeon like cooking monsters and harvesting food for like 10 years so they accompany him and like they just each episode is them like going through a different part of the dungeon finding new food sources uh and then cooking them up so it's like this weird mashup of like cooking food and dungeon monsters so really fascinating uh i'm listening to the english dub which is really good because uh One of the characters is voiced by Emily Rudd from One Piece and also, uh, what's his name? Sun Won Cho from, you know, social media. (laughs) From viral Videos. Uh, So that's really good. Really well animated, really cool art style. Um, Yeah, I would recommend checking it out, even though it's kind of gross, I guess, because it's these sentient beings that are being killed and then turned into food. It's fun to watch so yeah check out delicious in dungeons on netflix uh speaking of netflix let's move into the mandatory netflix segment of the show and dylan you've been watching the uh new documentary series american nightmare aka real life corn girl
0: yeah it kind of is um (laughs) yeah this was pretty good i feel like it was uh, it could have been two episodes or just a movie. This is a common problem I have with a lot of these Netflix documentaries. Is some they quite often feel like dragged out too long, stretched but, out. Yeah, uh, three episodes. Uh, without spoiling it, I guess i never heard about this case at all. Maybe I missed that new cycle or something. But it's it's a uh, this dude or uh, this couple wakes up in the middle of the night. There's like people in swimsuits. They say holding guns. They kidnap his partner he tells the cops the cops are like you're a fucking liar like this just sounds way too outlandish It didn't happen so they think it's him they're like where'd you kill where'd you kill your partner like where is she where's this woman she turns up several days later um in a different state at like a dad's home or something like that and then they're like well it wasn't this motherfucker so she faked it all <laughs> and then like i mean i don't want to spoil it but spoilers it's this true <laughs> no it's it happened like that's the no, and
1: yeah. So no, what I'm saying is police is shit. Did you do job? Well, it? no,
0: spoilers, yeah, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> it's well known that you watch any of these true crime docos, and a, a connecting factor in a lot of them is police is shit. Uh but yeah, so lots of terrible police work goes on, lots of assumptions about people happens, uh lives of two people are ruined because of well it's not obviously don't want to put full blame on police because there is a person there's, the well. there's criminals involved. <laughs> Uh, but at the end of the day, like the cops did, terrible, 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 and multiple cops and an FBI agent, and all these weird things that come out about them, and like I don't know, it's yeah. So it's it's definitely interesting, worth watching. Um, but yeah, I I, I I think it could have been a, a better like movie, probably just a feature-length doco. Okay.
1: Um. Yeah, it's interesting because I but I would I've listened to the case on the, like the Philip DeFranco show, like Kim covering the story there. Um, so I got like the bass notes. So, um, yeah, I don't know if it makes for a fact. This, this has
0: um, well, it's m- a lot of interviews of both the yeah, the the guy and the girl, the so. actual victims. Yeah, the actual victims. Yeah, so
1: it's cool. Uh, and then you watch One Four Against All Odds, the the documentary about the Australian rap group. I can't oh, like, remember what the <laughs> I can't remember what the, d- the term rap. for the genre Sure rap, rap. That's yeah. it um
0: yeah i had this on my list for a while finally got around to it the other day um i quite enjoyed it like i knew most of this stuff already It's just like hearing it um i guess them speak about it and Mm -hmm. especially like interviews with their manager and stuff like that but i mean what if like if you listen to australian hip-hop or just like pay attention to a lot of the news coverage none of the stuff's in here i i guess especially for like an american audience this might be like a lot more super interesting, but or even Australian audience in particular who aren't paying attention, which I guess is thing. And I, I, I can't remember when you said you watched it. Like you hadn't heard of them, have you? Because you don't really no. Pay attention. Yeah. So different sort of stuff there. But like basically, you've got a story of people who did bad things. That's that's not like they're arguing that, but they are they trying to like turn their life around and like they're having success in music and it's just a story of them consistently getting fucked by australian police in particular the new south wales police and nearly just trying to force them back into a life of crime and so they can lock them up and ruin their lives even though they're just trying to do music and one person in the interviews in the documentary just puts it best which is every time you hear about this this what happens to what's happened to one four it is just the most like straight comparison to nwa in the 90s early 90s in america and like what happened to them and Mm. the conversations around gangster rap and all this sort of stuff so it's just the exact same sort of shit and you 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 go surely that sort of stuff can't happen now like like freedom of like artistic expression surely a uh a thing no probably not so yeah it's a shit thing that's I mean, it's not over, like, it's still just,
1: like, they no. still don't play concerts. It's fascinating, because I read <laughs> a news story, like, a week ago, that apparently the police saved them from an assassination attempt from, like, a rival rival gang, so... So they say. I fucking don't believe anything with
0: the... i <laughs> got <read> my conspiracy <laughs> hat on for anything happening yeah. over there.
1: Yeah. But you... Like, I think I said at the time, like, the police are very much painted as villains. <laughs> it's, like... But they don't
0: realise... <laughs> they don't realise what they're saying. you got this... The heads, like whatever the head, the woman in particular, I think, is the worst. Whatever her <laughs> official go. job title is, like she's like, you know, the head, the boss, of the boss, of the boss of the New South Wales Police or whatever, and she just like says this shit like, well, that makes sense. That's a very normal thought path to happen, and yeah, they they're very much painted like monsters, uh, rightfully so because they are they're terrible people. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I can't. There's no way you can watch this, and if you if your takeaway is, well. They wear fuckheads in their young 20s. One time. Yeah. So let's ruin their lives forever. Like, if that's your takeaway for this,
1: like, get... I don't know. I feel, uh, you know, but also, like, we're, that's the culture we're currently living in, where you do one bad thing one time, then you you can't do anything ever again. Because I don't, I don't the ones who, like, got charged of stuff go
0: to prison, right? And you're like, okay, well, that's a criminal justice system working. They, yeah. they started that massive uh, fight. One of them does two out of his four years in jail um for that brawl. Okay, well that's so that that there is how the criminal justice system is supposed to work. Not continually fuck any chance they have of escaping yep. um and making success out their lives. No, I it's, no, not it's outrageous continually targeting them. Yeah, yeah it's outrage. It's very messed up. It's like he did his time. That is literally how the that any works. world any like non fucking third world country <laughs> It's like criminal system works, it's basically the same. Like the idea is, you get charged with something, you go to jail, you come out, <laughs> like you, you're not like you don't have a cop riding a fucking on top of you at all times trying to ruin your life. I, I know it's it's disgusting, absolutely yeah. disgusting.
1: That's everything I was to Let's move into some film news and the big news this week: the Academy Award nominations were released. Uh So your best picture nominees for this year are. American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. Um, not a super surprising list. I think, as several people point out, it's like 10 for 10 for the PGA nominations. Um, I don't think anybody... I, don't, I haven't seen anyone go a Best Picture film was snubbed this year. I think everyone was kind of, you know, on the page. That's what the list was going to be, um, you know, and that's where it is. Uh, where the major discussion this past week has been is in Best Leading Actress and Best Director, in which Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig were not nominated uh, and subsequently all social media, it seemed, uh has been on either side of the discussion of whether they deserve to be uh, nominated or not uh, a lot of people very vocal uh, and extremists in both directions a lot of celebrities coming out in support of uh, Barbie including uh, Hillary Clinton making <laughs> remarks uh, about her disappointment in those films being those people not being nominated um, yeah Dylan, what has your been reaction to like the Barbie? snubs this week, considering it's a film that got eight nominations, including Best Picture.
0: Uh, the only one I... Uh, I mean, uh, put it this way. Snub is a term we use consistently. Nothing can technically get snub because it's just a bunch of people choosing stuff, and there's many awards. Yes. Snub is a... Shows. It's just a,
1: a term. Snub is a uh, term to get people upset.
0: Yep.
1: And the reason Barbie... The mo- main reason <laughs> Barbie is being bringing up, brought up so much, at least from entertainment's uh, Sources and probably be in the show notes here and the in the thumbnail here is because everybody has seen barbie thus everybody is very likely to be upset or like has some understanding it's a relevant thing to bring up you know Hmm.
0: so yeah uh greater gerwig is only one i think is a justifiable like oh that's that's a bit weird. She didn't get nominated, but everything else, including uh, Margot Robbie, best
1: actress, uh, yeah, whatever. No, that's no. <laughs> um, yeah. So we might as well just get into the nominations of those two categories. The nominees for best director are Julie, Justin Triat for and now to be over Martin Scorsese for killers of our moon, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Norgos Lanthimos for poor things and Jonathan Glazer for the zone of interest. Um, those all kind of fit the bill for what the directing branch of the Academy has kind of been voting for in these last few years. Like, if you track what they've been voting, their preferences are for the last few years, very rarely big boss blockbuster movies or, like, showy stuff, um, and more recently been going for more foreign language films. It's a much more international category than it has been. Previously, obviously, again, this year, two uh, non-Americans, I guess, or non-American produced films uh, nominated for Best Director. Uh, and, of course, Justin Triat. She's kind of been missed in the <laughs> missed in the uh, Barbie furor, but obviously she's nominated, the one female uh, nominated in the category. Um, but then also in the Best uh, Actress category, uh, you've got uh, Annette Bening for Niad, Lily Gladstone for Killers of Flower Moon, Sandra Hula for Anatomy of Fall, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. Um, of those, probably Annette Benning is the one that probably have irked people. Um, because not many people have seen, well, not many people on social media have seen uh, Nyad. Uh, apparently, Nyad was in the top 10 films on netflix according to one source i've heard and you know that film just speaks to a certain audience um and a certain demographic which is heavily prominent in the uh academy at the very least of older people you know
0: well, i'll say the, the funniest thing i find about academy nominations yes. is i'll have people who watch like nothing but marvel movies all year at work and then the Academy nominations come out, and suddenly they're fucking, like... Experts. Experts, you know? And it's so different than like, my dad... And this is the... just It's like, even my dad will be like... He's watched, like, two of the best, like, nominees for... He's watched Oppenheimer, and he's watched Kills of the Fire Moon, right? And he goes, it's bullshit that Leonardo DiCaprio was not nominated. And I go, have you watched any of the other films? No, but it's bullshit. Like, that's... The- <laughs> it's just such... It's just such a thing. It happens every year, and it's just... People become yeah. such like film experts.
1: Yeah, the the other thing. Well, there's many factors to consider. Um, the yeah. one that probably is most uh, in about Leo's uh, not being nominated is a lot of it is politicking and like uh, campaigning. Uh, and from what I've read, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was not interested in campaigning for himself. He was largely trying to help Lily Gladstone get nominated and potentially win uh, in pre- in dis- instead of. Pushing his own uh, agenda. Good guy, Leo. Good guy, Leo. You know, doing something for you know uh, a lady (laughs) in Martin Scorsese. Uh, Give him back. You know. Um. But yeah, I think the other interesting thing is the voting process of the of the nominees. Even though everyone kind of nominates five people in like a weighted preference, like the one it depends on how many like ones and twos you kind of get. Like, so it's really important that people like put you as the favorite, your favorite performance of the year in that mm. category. Um, so you know, you could understand how Margot Robbie would. I don't think many people would have put Margot Robbie as a one or a two on their ballot. No, nah. she would have been like three or four, like, she was bit, probably be very popular, but um, you know, that's kind of just the way the weighted preferences kind of goes it's it's very weird and complicated i tried to read through how it was that was how it was done it was just like a com- bunch of confusing numbers there's why there there's a reason there's why there is a reason there is an accountancy firm who tackles uh author nominations and uh the voting for these things uh because it's pretty complicated um but yeah i think yeah the internet benning nomination while surprising to certain people definitely you know the older demographic they also like to include somebody who's uh you know a veteran i guess uh in the category as well so uh margot robbie just ended up being the unlucky person on the outer. um i guess we'll mention the other major acting categories uh lead actor in a drama lead actor (laughs) Uh, Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Commons Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooke for Color Purple, America Ferrera for Barbie, Jodie Foster for Nyad, and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers, uh, and Best Supporting Actor in a Supporting Role, uh, Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Killers of Our Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for poor things.
0: Yeah, so um, out of all those anyone, my only hot take is that um, Bradley Cooper is highly overrated and shouldn't have been nominated.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Maestro, again, is a film that definitely plays to a certain segment of the Academy, who enjoy those old school biopic epics, I guess, you know. But and aren't like that? There's a certain audience that doesn't read social media and isn't into it. don't don't view a film of uh, certain people trying to win an Oscar. I guess, but it, you know, know I feel does color it. like his performance in that film. I think, it's from a, my understanding, it's just a dumb performance, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. Uh, who who do you, who else do you think was unlucky to to miss out in those categories? Obviously, Greta Lee was somebody. Uh, all the cast of Past Lives actually were unfortunately yeah, to, to make Lives. crack that list. Um, I think the most surprising one there is America Frera, because I don't think she'd been nominated anywhere really. That speech um, really did something. To that that kind of Critics Choice it. Award speech uh, really like <laughs> won her a lot of support. It looks like. Um, so yeah, good for her. Um Okay, in the other categories, Dylan, were there any what? What's was what surprised you that got nominations, or what uh, got you angry that didn't get nominations?
0: Nothing. All my anger got worked up at the Emmys, and now I got nothing for the rest of you.
1: <laughs> really? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was very happy that. Uh, Godzilla minus zero got nominated for Best Special Effects. The little the little movie that could uh got in. Um it was interesting that uh, a lot of like high profile documentaries, like uh, celebrity driven documentaries, I guess, uh like uh Still with Michael J. Fox and uh, uh American Symphony with John Batiste were nominated. Uh instead, I think most of them are from what I understand, uh foreign documentaries or like obviously hitting more like uh actual topics rather than like following a celebrity i guess so Ah, it is what it is um interesting uh that wes anderson got nominated for best live action short for the wonderful story of henry sugar uh so he could potentially win (laughs) for that category um probably the most high profile person who's been nominated in that category for a while. Mm. Um, best score yeah they nominated John Williams for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny nah over The Boy and the Heron over Spider-Man cross Spider-Verse over a bunch of fantastic scores this year that was a shocker and probably is just a, a name thing I'd have to assume
0: I assume so I don't know like it's just Maybe it's just too much like where I'm not to like
1: throw not to disparage like the composers in that in the that branch of the Academy Awards, but come on. Really? Really? Just because you assume it's gonna be his last time, he just gets a a, been doing that
0: for like ten years.
1: Yeah, (laughs) he's got heaps of nominations. Like what are you doing?
0: He's fucking faking his age, I think.
1: (laughs) Um Interesting, uh, obviously The Zone of the Interest was uh, very prominent across the board. It was probably going to be leading the international feature film category. Uh, Interestingly, uh, the taste of... uh, What was it? Taste? The film nominated by France for the international film category did not get nominated. The film that they chose over Anatomy of a Fall um, because of politicking, because she came out uh, and made disparaging remarks about the French president. Uh, when she accepted the award at Cannes. Uh, Very interesting that, you know, that all, like, justified, I guess, you know, that that didn't pay off for the French uh, delegation. Um, Ha! Ha! Um, Other interesting ones, obviously, Best Animated Film uh, nominees are Boy and Heron, Elemental, Namona, Robot Dreams got in, and Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Uh, people a bit upset that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles didn't make the cut. No, nah, uh, I'm not. It was fine. It was good, but uh, I haven't seen Robot Dreams yet. But I'm keen, and I think, obviously, from what I've seen, that looks very good. So,
0: I've seen a trailer. Uh,
1: and surprisingly, for the f- Mission Impossible as a franchise, got its first nominations this year for best uh, sound and best visual effects. No. Hard to believe. Like,
0: Yeah, I know. I would have thought they got nominated for something before. but
1: Absolutely. Uh, Dylan, anything else you want to talk about? About the Academy Award nominations?
0: Uh, no. Uh, I'm working on a list. I uh, started before doing it. I'm just going to do a do a little list like I did last year and put up an article on the website of where you can watch all these things if, if I can find all of them. But um, yeah. do that for myself and then share it like I did last year. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, Because yeah, all the documentaries, fucking none of them are streamed anywhere. No, it's very so, hard to find any documentaries. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Um, yeah. I guess my final question is, is Oppenheimer going to just dominate these Academy worlds?
0: Yeah, I'd assume so. Uh, Nolan's time, I guess. So
1: yeah, the irony <laughs> that uh, you know all those people are upset about Barbie not getting a best director nomination and that kind of stuff, almost ten years after uh, Christopher Nolan and The Dark Knight kind of completely mm. changed the Academy Awards. Like, Barbie would not have gotten a best picture nomination if The Dark Knight had been had not been snubbed that mm. year. You know. And They increase the the number of Best Picture 11. nominees to ten. You know, you
0: know. I, I'm telling you right now, if I have to deal with people saying Barbie not winning is fucking sexist, <laughs> I'll be
1: like, I'm, I mean, the, the argument that kind of infuriates me the most is that people are upset that because Barbie made so much money, it should be nominated.
0: It's not the fucking For,
1: box office awards. Yeah, that's what the Golden Globe for best box office mm-hmm. achievement is for. Yeah. As, as I saw somebody point out. So yeah. Uh yeah, so that's the big news for this week. Uh let's move into uh talking about uh Tract 2023 Year in Review. Uh we are gonna talk about this last week, but uh that episode ended up being very bloated, so we moved it to this week. Uh of course we like to talk about a bunch of go through our year in review thanks to tract. Um, which is a fantastic service to help you keep track of all you're watching throughout the year. Uh, so Dylan, what was the first thing you watched in 2023?
0: My first play of 2023 was Blueback on January 2nd at 7.59pm.
1: Interesting, the Australian film direct. with the whale, wow, right? Yep, from the director of the dry. Ooh. There you go. Uh, My first play of 2023 was Shithouse, the uh, Cooper Rafe film. I watched that the 2nd of January Uh, at 7.17 p.m.
0: We both took the first off. There you
1: go. All right. Uh, Dylan, how many hours of television did you watch in 2023?
0: I watched 611 hours of 98 television
1: shows. All right. I watched 553 hours of 113 shows. Well, I'm actually surprised I'm higher than you. I'm also surprised. Yeah, what the fuck? I don't know how that's possible. Well, yeah. I guess you've got a dedicated, like, three hours or two hours, two or three hours of wrestling every single week. So, you know, that adds up. Yeah, I guess. And uh, the, thing, the
0: thing is, like if it's 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 i am I'm gonna admit it's bloated because sometimes it's just on and I'm like, I don't care about this match. It's so it's kinda of like tracking sport a bit. I guess it's like I'm like, yeah, I zone out for ten minutes, you know? Like it's not like <laughs>
1: All right. Uh Dylan, what was your ten most played shows of 2023?
0: All right, I'm skipping the wrestling ones.
1: But I mean it's most played shows, so I mean it can only be like two or three, right?
0: Uh oh yeah, I suppose Oh, yeah, okay. I'll do it then. I was, I'm skipping them for the actors and stuff, though, that's because like that, that yep. ruins the list. All right, so most played TV shows, 10 to, ten down? Yep. Number 10, Abbott Elementary, 15 players. Number 9, The Bear, 15 players. Number 8, Lego Masters Australia, 15 players. Number 7, Utopia, the Australian show, 16 players. Number 6, Star Wars, The Bad Batch, 16 players. Number 5, Brooklyn 9 17 players. Number 4, Happy Valley, 18 players. Number three, All Elite Wrestling, Collision, 28 players. Number two, All Elite Wrestling, Rampage, 45 players. Number one, All Elite Wrestling, Dynamite, 52 players.
1: <laughs> All right, my top 10. Number 10, Welcome to Wrexham, 15 players. Number nine, Star Wars The Bad Batch, 16 players. Number eight, How I Met Your Father, 20 players. Number seven, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, 20 players. Number six, Blue Lock, with 21 players. Number five, Have You Been Paying Attention, 26 players. Number four, Double Fine Psychology, thirty-two players. Number three, Kaguya's Kaguya-sama, Love is War, thirty-seven players. Number two, Kim's Convenience, fifty-three players, and number one, Game Changer, fifty-nine players. Uh, what was your most watched network? Uh, Netflix, twenty-three shows. Mine was also Netflix, thirty shows. So. What was your net, net, network count? 39. Interesting. Mine was 64. Fucking hell. Yeah. Bunch of little stuff. Yeah. Uh. All right. What were your top five genres? Uh, drama,
0: 41 shows. Comedy, 34 shows. Adventure, 21 shows. Action, 21 shows. Science fiction, 21 shows.
1: Mine was comedy, 50 shows, drama, 34 shows, documentary, 30 shows, science fiction, 26 shows, and fantasy, 25 shows. All right, let's move into movies then. How many hours of movies did you watch in 2023?
0: 378 hours of 206
1: movies. I watched 262 hours of 141 movies. Uh, so, what were your top 10 watch, watch, most watched movies of
0: 2023? Uh, the bottom three whatever I'm including them Uh, number 10 AEW Cross New Japan Pro Wrestling presents Forbidden Door 3 hours 58 minutes AEW All In London 3 hours 59 minutes number 8 New Japan Wrestle Kingdom 17 4 hours alright now we're out of wrestling number 7 Scream 6 4 hours 6 minutes number 6 The Creator 4 hours 28 minutes number 5 Fast X 4 hours 44 minutes number 4 Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 5 hours Number three, John Wick, Chapter 4, 5 hours, 40 minutes. Number two, Oppenheimer, 6 hours, 2 minutes. And number one, Babylon, 6 hours, 18 minutes.
1: Okay. What? The, the, you watched it twice? Three times? Babylon. Yeah. Twice. Okay. All right. My number 10 is Napoleon, 2 hours, 38 minutes. Number 9 is the American Gladiators documentary, 2 hours, 50 minutes. Number 8 is John Wick, Chapter 4, 2 hours, 50 minutes. Number 3 is Oppenheimer, 3 hours, 1 minute. Number 6 is Babylon, 3 hours, 9 minutes. Number 5 is Elemental, 3 hours, 24 minutes. Number 4 is Killers of the Flower Moon, 3 hours, 26 minutes. Number 3 is Wrestle Kingdom, 17. Number 2, Spider-Man Across spider verse 4 hours, 40 minutes. And number one is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, five hours, 28 minutes. Uh, What was your most watched studio of 2023?
0: Lionsgate,
1: 10 movies. Interesting. Mine was Warner Brothers Pictures, 10 movies. Uh, What were your top five most watched genres?
0: Oh, hold on. Studio count, if we did that for TVs 50. Oh, mine was also 50. No, there you go. There you go. Uh, Genres, number one, uh, horror. 72 movies. Number two, thriller, 61 movies. Number three, drama, 53 movies. Number four, comedy, 52 movies. And number five, action, 36 movies. Interesting.
1: My number one is comedy, 52 movies. Number two, drama, 38 movies. Number three, documentary, 36 movies. Number four, action, 35 movies. And number five, adventure, 23 movies. Uh, all right. Top five actors. Most watch actors are 23 <sighs> interesting list
0: number oh hold on let me do it backwards One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. all right so to put this in perspective my number 10 is actually number
1: 65
0: (laughs) all right so top five no 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 no. oh do you want top five yeah all right one two three all right, four, five. All right, number five is number 41. Mahasha <laughs> Ali. Scroll, yeah. scroll, scroll. Uh, Jack Quaid. Roger L. Jackson. David Arquette. And uh, Donald Sutherland. And number one, Toby Jones. And my number one was number eight. How many things was Toby Jones in Did you watch? The Hunger Games, The Hunger Games Catching Fire, The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2, The Pale Blue Eye, The Wonder, Indiana Jones and the Dile Destiny, and Tetris. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Uh, My top five are Ben Schwartz in four shows and one movie, Roger Jackson in six movies, David Arquette in one show and five movies, uh, Ted Tascori in five shows and one movie, and Jack Quaid in two shows and four movies. Uh, who are your top five actresses of 2023?
0: Number five is number 11. So this is a lot better. Uh, a lot better. Makeup. Easy to wrap your head around. Number five, Jennifer Lawrence, five movies. Number four, A.O. Edderberry, three shows, two movies. Number three, Nev Campbell, one show, five movies. Number two, Courtney Cox, six movies. And number one, Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks for six movies. Okay.
1: Uh, my number five is Courtney Cox, six movies. Number four is Gal Gadot for one show, five movies. Number three is Neva Campbell for two shows, five movies. Number two is Ed- A.O. Eddieberry for two shows, five movies. And my number one, Stephanie Hsu, four shows, three movies. Uh, who are your top five most watched directors?
0: Peter Ramsey at number five, two shows, uh, Ahsoka and *The Mandalorian*. I might call out who these are because they're not as recognizable. Uh, Number four, Jude Wang, two shows, Lucky Hank and Twisted Metal. Number three, Gracie Otto, two shows, The Clearing and Deadlock. Number two, Wes Craven, four movies. I don't need to say. And then number one, Francis Lawrence, four movies. Shout out to my Hunger Games (laughs) rewatch.
1: Uh... My number five is Chad Stolinsky for John Wick's Chapter 2, 3, and 4. Number four is David Ferrier for Tickle, Tickle King, and Mr. Organ. Number three is Kenneth Branagh for Murder of the Only Express, Death on the Nile, and Haunting of Venice. Number two is Wes Craven for Screams 1 to 4. And my number one is Wes Anderson for Asteroid City, Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, The Swan, The Rat Catcher, and Poison. Got a bit of a boost there because of all those short Short films. films, And what are your top five most watched writers?
0: Uh, Number five, Suzanne Collins for writing all the Hunger Games books. Number four, George Lucas for creating Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Uh, Number three, Kim Henkel for writing the first Texas Chainsaw movie and then getting based upon for the rest of them. Number two, Kevin Williamson for writing most of the Scream movies and then getting based on, and also writing Sick, which I watched this year as well. And then number one, Tobe Hooper for writing the first Texas, oh, and the second Texas Channel of the Sword Massacre, and then getting based upon for the rest of them.
1: (laughs) Uh, My number five is Jack Kirby for uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Groot, and Loki. Uh, number four is Wes Anderson for the aforementioned uh, short films and Asteroid City. Number three is Roald Dahl for the aforementioned uh, short films and Wonka. Number two is George Lucas for the uh, four show, but the three, what, The Mandalorian, The Bad Batch, and Ahsoka, plus Willow, plus Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny. And number one is Kevin Williamson for the first six screen movies. Well, all the screen movies, I think yeah and then, well yeah based upon the characters or whatever for the rest yep. yeah uh what was your last play of 2023
0: fittingly AEW world's end
1: okay and mine was game changer behind the scenes of escape the green
0: room <laughs> <laughs> i was yeah. a little bit more like exciting it was just like
1: yeah. random episode yeah his yeah. final thing what are you, the, the six recommendations they've made that you've missed? In it's
0: interesting. Time? So, yeah, because this is a base... I assume it's like based on what you've watched, but also what was pop- popular in the year that you haven't watched. Yes. So, number one... Well, they're not ranked, but... Well, there's three TV shows three and three TV, movies. Yeah. So, the three TV shows, The Night Agent, Hijack, and blue Eye Samurai. Which I'm sure you can get behind. I can get behind two of those. Yeah. And then the movies. This is where it goes a bit off the rails. Flash. Shazam. Fury of the Gods.
1: And the Equalizer three. Interesting. Mm. So, my recommendations are The Night Agent. The Fall of the House of Usher. Yeah. And Kaleidoscope. I can get behind that. I mean, and then the seen. movies are Equalizer 3. The Covenant. And 65. 65? Yes. The Adam Driver dinosaur movie.
0: Sure. Maybe it was really so, yeah. popular. I don't know. Maybe a lot of people watched I it. I think a
1: lot of people watched it. I don't think it counts the rankings. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> not like the star ratings, just popularity of like people Just the
1: popularity. People. Uh Yeah. So, that's what we watched in 2023. Uh, Looking forward to tracking more stuff in 2024. Fuck Letterboxd. Uh, let's move into giving some... Let's not. Uh, hold
0: on. <laughs> One thing you didn't ask about that I'm interested. Okay. They've added more stats to this, right? If you scroll up. Yeah. How many TV shows did you watch from Australia?
1: I watched... Ooh. You can hover over the map. 11. 15. Interesting.
0: So this is a number where I'm like, man, I should get those these numbers up. How about movies?
1: I watched four movies. Oh,
0: they're... Ash, that's... That's lot. I, I feel bad with both mine, but I feel a lot bad now. Mine was 16. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There you go.
1: So, on that sour note, <laughs> <let's>, <laughs> which I've been shown to be non patriotic, yeah, that's right. Let's give some thumbs to trailers. Of course, you can find all the trailers we're about to talk about in the show notes below. Uh, let's kick things off with Despicable Me 4, directed by Chris Renault. Uh, starring Steve Carell, Christopher Wigg, Miranda Cosgrove, Dana Gaer, Madison Poland, Will Ferrell, Sophia Vergara, Joey King, Stephen Colbert, Chloe Feynman, Pierre Coffin, and Steve Coogan. Grew, the world's most fa- world's favorite supervillain turned anti-villain League agent, uh, returns for an exciting, bold new era of Minions Mayhem alongside his wife and fellow anti-villain League agent Lucy, the three adopted girls, Margot, Edith, and Agnes and the newest member of the Gru family, Gru Jr., who is intent on to- tormenting his dad. The family is forced to go on the run when they become targeted by escape criminal Maxime Lamol and his femme fatale girlfriend, Valentina. Dylan, what do you think of this trailer for this fourth entry in the Despicable Me franchise?
0: Yeah, double thumbs up. That's a funny baby. That was a funny scene. There's part at the end, a lot of butt jokes. I Got minions. They get slapping each other on the ass. Lots of, lots of stuff happening. Uh... Will Ferrell and Sophie Viaga Villar- v- Vigera voicing the bad guys, so fucking, I'm in.
1: Yeah, I think it's two thumbs up from me. It's an interesting trailer in that it doesn't tell you very much about the movie. It's just like here are a bunch of gags, here's some funny bits. You're going to come see the movie. You're going to take your kids to the movie anyway. There's, there's no need to explain. I, I, I what little the, plot there is. Yeah, I
0: appreciate the like.
1: It's, it's open with a bunch of minions like slapping each other yeah. around. One of them gets caught stuck in a vending machine and the other two tormented for the rest of the trailer, yep. uh, including throwing a soda can in, <laughs> which is a very funny ending. Uh, and then little baby Grew. very mm-hmm. amusing. How happy he is with the mum and then very upset and stoic with Grew.
0: My favourite thing is I looked up, um when on IDB after I watched this trailer the other day when it came out, or yesterday or day before, whenever it was, and um I was like, fuck, I can't believe there's been four of these. So I was just quickly looking into it. Just sometimes I, I look something up on IB, just flick around, just see who's involved and stuff. I was like, I cannot believe that Mike White is still writing the fourth one of these. <laughs> fucking Emmy is Award. Is he actually women. writing,
1: or is just involved?
0: No, he's credited. there's two writers. He's one of them. It's he's still writing these fucking movies. It's crazy to me. <laughs> he's still writing random shit. Cause he he like if you ever scroll through Mike White's Stuff over the years, it's been a bit like, like you know, his his name's been in some weird shit, like the moji movie and stuff, right? Okay, whatever, you got paid the bills, man. But then when I saw him on this, I was like, okay, sure, why not? I won all these awards from a TV show which I'm about to start a new season of. Fuck it, they asked me to write Despicable Me for,
1: would be involved, why not? Yeah, uh, yeah. So two thumbs up. It's probably going to make a bunch of money. Surprisingly, neither of us picked this in our fantasy game this year, which may turn out out to be a mistake. Um, So yeah, this is releasing in cinemas on the 20th of June, 2024. Next trailer is for Ricky Stenicki, directed by Peter Farrelly, starring Zac Efron, John Cena, Jermaine Fowler, Andrew Santino, Lex Scott Davis, and William H. Macy. 20 years after creating the imaginary Ricky Stenicki, three childhood friends still use the non-existent pal as a handy alibi for their immature behavior. When their spouses and partners get suspicious and demand to finally meet him, the guilty trio decides to hire a washed-up actor, Rod, who brings him to life. However, when Rod takes his role of a lifetime a little too far, they begin to wish they never invented Ricky in the first place. (laughs) Tell them what you think of the trailer for Ricky Stenicki?
0: I'm going... I'm actually on double thumbs down. I don't think it was that funny. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it it this feels like it's gonna. It, if usually comedies, you can have a thing where it's like, you know, all the best jokes are in the trailer, and then the movie you watch it, it's not very funny or whatever. Like, I didn't even think the trailer for this looked particularly good, so can't imagine the movie being that great. I also think it's interesting that Peter Farrelly like following green book and then he went back and did like two comedies with this and beer run for apple tv it was apple wasn't it i think yep yeah it's so weird and he, his career when it, like he, he used to think peter farrelly comedies like M A R writer comedies used to be like they would make money at the box office and now mm-hmm. something like this is going straight to streaming, streaming. crazy anyway double thumbs down i don't think it looked funny
1: uh i'm gonna give a one up one down i mean it looks fine it looks like you know it's got it's one joke and it's probably gonna ride it as much as it can which is john cedar and uh ridiculous outfits um i mean it's a it's simple premise but you know it, there's potential there you know i got a couple of chocolates out of there including of william h Macy like holding miming holding a dick when he's giving presentations, and if people pointed out, that's amusing. Uh, interesting fact: when I was like pulling up the the credits for this, so this is based on a script that was first uh, was in the blacklist of uh, best unproduced screen plays back in twenty ten. In at which point it was uh, James Franco was uh, uh, attached to play the lead, the title role.
0: It does look like a lot of.
1: 20, and then 10. apparently, <laughs> apparently. Uh, Walking Phoenix was attached to the role considered at one point, as was Jim Carrey. So, eventually rolled around to becoming John Cena. Funny how the world works. Also filmed in Australia, so technically an Australian movie. Um, So yes, this is coming to Prime Video on the 7th of March. Next trailer is for Tuesday. Directed by Dana Opusik. Uh, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Lola, Petticrew, Leah Harvey, and Arazine Keane. Zora lives with her terminally ill daughter Tuesday, one day death in the form of a size altering macaw, arrives and sends Zora and Tuesday on a emotional journey about love, life, and death. Tell them, what did you think of this trailer from the A24? What did you think of this A24 movie trailer?
0: (laughs) The A24. Um, i've watched this trailer twice i think it's fantastic double thumbs up the first time i watched it i was like holy fuck this is like live action studio ghibli <laughs> like i could picture this as a ghibli like animated feel. and like i don't know maybe it's just coming off the boy in heron or, or something but yeah I, I think it's really great trailer. double thumbs up everyone looks fantastic in it that one scene where they just have like a 30 second moment where like they're just breaking down together i'm like there's a lot to put that in the trailer but uh yeah, Kane, obviously. Look forward to watching it in 2026.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, I'll give it two thumbs up as well. Obviously, you know. I wasn't I was on the on the line into including this one on the episode. Uh my only critique is they use too many uh like quotes, I feel like. I feel like they should have just used more footage. Um But yeah, interesting concepts. Never thought of death being in a car, you know, so that's the thing. But obviously, it's just a device to like kind of uh, get these people to accept uh, letting go and that kind of stuff. So interesting. So there is currently no release date anywhere for this film, uh, but it will be coming soon to probably America and probably very much later in Australia. Next trailer is for Roadhouse, directed by Doug Lyman, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Daniela Melchior. Conor McGregor, J.D. Pardo, Arturo Castro, and Billy Magnuson. Ex UFC fighter Dalton takes a job as a bouncer at a Florida Keys Roadhouse, only to discover that this paradise is not all it seems. Tim, what did you think of the, the trailer for the remake of Roadhouse?
0: Yeah, double thumbs up. I've watched this trailer twice as well. Um, I thought it looked really, really fun. Uh, it's a weird movie to remake i mean when they announced it, i was like why that just seems like a weird thing but it's just it's taking like the bare premise of it and just making a full-on it very, very much has it's i don't know it's like they have taken the premise of roadhouse but the movie itself feels like just a throwback to 80s action movies i guess which mm-hmm. is just a lot of ridiculous characters and action and whatever else but it just like especially when you've got like, Conor McGregor playing this. Playing himself. Just <laughs> absolutely, like, there's that line in the trailer at one point where he's like, as soon as you get Knox involved, it's fucking over. <laughs> 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 Something like that. And I was like, oh, shit. This, this may be one of the greatest movies of the year. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, self-hums. I can't wait for this. I mean, this. This looks really, really good. And I feel like any, like, doubts I have about it, I'm like, yeah, but Doug,
1: Doug Limon's directing it. Like, Doug Liman. Yeah. Liman, yeah, whatever his name is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll give it two thumbs up as well. I've never seen Roadhouse. Don't think anybody surprised by that. Um, but yeah, this looks like a good time. Uh, obviously, you know, it looks like it's got a bit of money behind it. And, you know, Jake your looks like a million bucks. You know, he looks good in this. Uh yeah, it just looks like it's gonna be a ridiculous good time. I'm also a big fan of Arto Castro, who looks like he's playing the comedic relief, at least amongst the dominions. Yeah, that, that um
0: that part then where he's like just waves out. He's like, Oh, do you know it's cheaper? Oh no, I just broke his leg or whatever. <laughs> break his, broke arm, his whatever. arm yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really good dude. <laughs> yeah. You broke your arm. Exactly. Um Yeah. What so obviously there's a bit of uh controversy around this movie at the moment because uh, Doug Lymond uh declined to show up to the premiere, uh upcoming premiere at South by Southwest, cause he believed that Prime Video uh screwed the movie out of having a cinema release.
0: Yeah, fair. I mean
1: yeah. not- I don't know. Well it just depends on what the contracts were initially like. If they always said it was going to be a streaming release then I don't know how upset you can be.
0: Uh I you could still be upset. Maybe they were like, well we'll see how it turns out. And then he's like, yeah. all right, well, if like, I produce like this, if I make like a really good fucking movie, then surely they'll have no reason not to put it on the big screen. And then they come out, they're like, we're going to put it on streaming. And a bunch of, uh, it's, this is the type of movie, this looks like this should, 100, 110%, this looks like
1: it should be in the cinemas. This looks like a yeah. big screen. It would movie. definitely have made money. Yeah. I it might, might not be. have been one of the highest gross movies this year, but uh, I think this it definitely would have gotten, this easily,
0: and, I think would have sat in the top five of the box office for several weeks, easily.
1: Yeah. But instead, it's releasing on Prime Video on the twenty first of March.
0: Dumb, and everyone's going to watch it on their phones with their fucking speakers on their shitty
1: phones and oh, fuck. All right. Well, our last trailer for this week is a movie that got saved from being a streamer release. Monkey Man, directed by Dev Patel, starring Dev Patel, Chateau Copley, Peter Bash. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's Jordan Peele's Monkey Man. Thank you. Thank you. I don't, that's not actually the title. I, I think
0: you'll find that it's actually called Jordan Peele's Monkey Man. Monkey
1: Man, okay. From producer Jordan Peele. Okay. Also starring Peter Bash, Sabita Dulapala, Sinkana Kerr, Vipin Shwama, Ashwini Kaliska, Adithi Kalkunti, and Makarand Deshpandi. Uh, I forgot to give the uh, description. Hang on.
0: Man wants revenge. Fucking punches people. There you go. What, what more? <laughs> what do you want?
1: What more do I want? That's that's a fair point. Uh, a recently released ex and living in India struggles to adjust to a world of corporate greed and eroding spiritual values. Tell him, what did you think of the trailer? My description for?
0: was a lot better than that. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh what did you think of the trailer for Monkey Man?
0: Yeah, double thumbs up, fucking keen as glad. Thank you, John Peel, or whoever helped save the movie from going to the going to straight to streaming. That would have been a horrible disservice. Uh, I mean the movie just looks like straight like a I don't know. Like plot wise, it just reminds me of any sort of martial arts Asian cinema release. Is what is what it is. But with the very um, different vibe given it's yeah not in like Thailand or uh China or, 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 or a lot of where those martial arts movies are set and stuff like that. I think it's crazy the fact that Old Mate's a black belt, I did not know that until this trailer came out um, and then all these stories coming out like yeah he's been trying to make martial arts movies for ages. I'm like wow okay I had no idea but good for him. Uh, looks like it has a strong visual style. Yeah I'm, I'm super keen for this. It came out of nowhere and now the jumped up list for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like it looks fantastic. Two thumbs up. Uh, looks like you know, Indian John Wick. Uh, you know, and it being sent in India, I think makes it kind of distinctive from you know, a lot of other stuff, despite you know, them all speaking English and that kind of stuff. Uh, definitely has its own visual style. Um, and yeah, it looks like the choreography in this looks fantastic. I didn't know that he was a uh, Black Belt either until you just said it, so... Did he? Okay. Super <laughs> uh, especially when you... Like, the last thing I watched him in was, like, the Wes Anderson yeah. thing, like, so cozy, like, homemade kind of stuff, and then just see him in this, like, beating the shit out of people and getting, like, trying to jump through a window and...
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember where I read the story. Like, when, whenever the trailer dropped, I think, I don't know, Variety or whoever I read the story about, they're like, yeah, like, Dev Patel's Black Belt has been for, like, since he was, I don't know, a teenager... He's been trying to make action he's been trying to get um, um a film where he can be the lead made for years and years and years and everyone kept being like no because he doesn't look the part and I'm like no you know you go man no
1: well it makes sense because you know that remember there was that story back in uh, 2022 where he broke a fu- broke up a fight in uh, Adelaide
0: fuck there was wasn't there there you go you, fucking you know
1: man. so apparently there was a knife involved as well so you know take some balls and experience to to do that so yeah Def Patel here for it you know I'm sure all the the James Bond you know talk will continue after this but hopefully continues to do his own thing this will be a big success we can get a million Monkey Man movies Uh, so yes this is releasing in cinemas on the 4th of April alright let's move into this week's top 3 definitely in the top 3 Uh, And this week's top three is top three Sundance 2024 films we're excited to see Of course Sundance Just concluded A lot of films were uh, released uh, For Critics and some moviegoers to go see So uh, Dylan what three films What's your number three film That caught your attention
0: So my rules for this was I didn't pick anything I'd brought up In other previous lists
1: Yes I also refrain from including any of the films in our fantasy game, which I'll just bring up the current score. You're currently leading 20 to 13 with three of your films being released at Sundance. Uh, but all your points were <laughs> gotten by uh love lives leading, which uh, has a 8.0 on Rotten Tomatoes amongst critics. Your two <laughs> Sundance wildcards, the Moo Guy and the winner are both uh, zero points Mugo currently sitting at a 3.6, and the winner currently sitting at a 4.6. Uh, for me, uh, Love Me is currently sitting at a 5.7, and Sasquatch Sunset is sitting at a 73, which ain't my 13 points. But, you know, once they get an actual right, wide release, you know, that could change significantly. But, uh, yeah, not very good picks Dylan for wild cards.
0: Yeah, well, they're wild cards for a reason, you know
1: what I mean? <laughs> All right, what's your number three?
0: Number three, I went with Union, the documentary about uh Amazon or former Amazon workers trying to like create a union basically or start a unionize unionization and the battle the giant that is Amazon. Um you'll always hear about how terrible Amazon well, we know how terrible Amazon is, but I think in particular because uh different laws and stuff in America, um you quite often hear about how terrible um working for amazon in america can be because they have a lot less workers rights than we do in australia um especially for the small well i mean you go down that road but um yeah it looks super interesting from what i heard everyone said it was like really uh depth really interesting documentary on that sort of subject matter maybe eye-opening to some people i guess that sort of stuff so that's my number three all right uh
1: my number three is a real pain the uh Second film Jesse Eisenberg has directed uh, starring Jesse Eisenberg and Kieran Culkin as two cousins who travel to Poland after the grandmother's death to see where they come from and end up joining a Holocaust tour. Uh, apparently very good. Uh, Kieran Culkin uh, is fantastic. And you know, Jesse Eisenberg uh, again, showing his chops as a director after his first film, when you Finish saving the world. So yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Dylan, what's your number two? My number two is Filmer,
0: a film that stars June Squibb as a oh fuck. I had to hear a second. Ninety-three-year-old woman who is duped by a scam, pretending to be her grandson, and then she sets out on a treacherous quest across the city to reclaim what was taken from her. Uh, everything I saw, people said about it, and whatever else, uh, said it was it rides a very good line between being funny enough to not be as dark as like this story could be which is terror like because it could be like really terrible like people's lives get ruined when these things happen but also not so funny that doesn't um isn't able to to keep the the seriousness of this sort of stuff happening and s- still be able to have that message i guess uh do it um gene Squibb's usually pretty great in everything she's in um fred hert is the i don't know the actual grandson i guess or something he was really good in um uh, pale blue eyes or uh, as much as I didn't think the rest of the movie that was great but also Parker Posey's in this so shout out
1: uh, yeah so this is my number one uh, you know it's it's the beekeeper but Jatham Statham's being played by an old lady you know <laughs> taking out phone scammers uh, yeah this from everything I hear is really good again also other really good cast members including Clark Gregg Malcolm McDowell Nicole Byer Uh, Involved in the film as well. It's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, across 20 reviews uh, with the average rating of 7.7. So uh, very promising. Sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I think it was, I can't remember. Somebody picked it up, I want to say. Oh, it's, no. Haven't got a production, haven't got a distributor yet from the look of it. Based on what I'm running on Wikipedia. So yeah. Thelma, looking forward to that. Dylan, what's your number one?
0: My number one is Presence, Ooh. the Steven Soderbergh film that everyone says is really intense. Um, it all takes place in one location. It's like his, attempt, it's his go at like a horror thriller. Um, they shot it in like a couple of weeks apparently, but all in one location stars Lucy Liu. Um, but people have said it's really like typical Soderbergh. I th- I think there was something about it like not like a lot of the camera angles are just weird and like odd choices for the genre which is typical for Soderbergh I guess but um but also people said it's actually quite tense for that's short run time and he keeps up that passion and pro- uh and he proves but I none of this surprises me because I as much as I didn't like or I didn't not like it I thought it was fine that that one he did a couple of years ago um fuck what was that called it was uh oh, let me find it quickly kimmy right so that came out a couple of years oh, yeah. ago and that was a thriller and he sort of like you could see in that movie like he has a, a sense for this like a, a that sort of genre stuff and nearly nearly all of that movie was like one location so seeing this being maybe the elevation of that um yeah i'm really keen to, to, to watch this interesting
1: uh so my number two was my old ass which is a, a comedy in which a young girl uh, is visited by a future self and told not to fall in love. Uh, but then she meets a boy, you know, and then hilarious suits. Uh, apparently it's a, a great coming of age film about, you know, um, you know, finally moving on to college and uh, leaving home and that kind of stuff. Com- I saw somebody say uh, it's the best uh, movie about going, leaving home since Toy Th- Story 3. So, uh you know? that's the thing directed by Megan Park who directed The the Fallout which was a movie I really enjoyed so yeah that's my number two uh, yeah any other films that you want to shout out I was surprised that uh, I Saw the TV Glow wasn't on your list which one I Saw the TV Glow the new movie from Jane Schomburg who did uh, we're all going to the World Fair
0: oh uh, yeah, could be, I guess. But... I heard
1: that was very popular, yeah, They're very well reviewed. So,
0: I don't know a lot of yeah. movies will. good. It's Sundance, it's full of great movies. It's like, Sundance. What do you, what yeah, do
1: you... probably one of our favorite movies will be one yeah. that we didn't mention Something from this. Yeah, but Dylan, this week, what do you want to watch? This week, I want to watch Argyle. I too want to watch Argyle. When are you watching Argyle? Possibly Thursday, maybe Friday. Okay, when are my reviews come out? I don't know.
0: Because nothing out yet. I don't know if it's a bad I haven't seen,
1: point. yeah. I think maybe they're just, I I got the feeling they're trying to keep it secret and that's maybe yeah, yeah. there hasn't been any press, press. All the trailers. They're trying to rev- keep who Agent Argyle is a secret. The real all. Agent Argyle's a dog.
0: And the whole movie. <laughs> Cats and dogs was on the TV, Love and I. So shout okay. out to that movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's distracted my brain uh but no I, uh I, I, argyle looks really fun um don't I haven't like i don't think every matthew Vaughan movie is a, a 10 out of 10 but definitely has a style obviously um yep and you see it within the trailer of this the cast is really good um lots of standouts and everything but i, I, I just think the idea of the the plot itself just the the idea that someone's writing stuff that happens and then you got brian Cranston trying to chase it down you got um Sam Rockwell looks like he's having a lot of fun in this and Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how much we're going to get of the the fake characters I guess that'll be interesting to see like Henry Cavill and um Dua Lipa and uh, whoever else is in like the fake world Uh, John Cena so That'll, that'll, that'll be interesting to see but yeah should be a fun movie nonetheless uh on the tv side my pick would be uh Mr. and Mrs. Smith
1: yes my pick would also be Mrs. and Mrs. Smith which we may or may not have watched already and can't talk about. Uh, but I also want to shout out Orion in the Dark, the Charlie Kaufman-written uh, animated film that's dropping on Netflix this week. I'm excited to watch that. So, yeah. Let us know what you're excited to watch this week or how upset you are about the Academy Award nominations by going to Explosion.com slash Twitter or jump into Discord at Explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here, what do you want to watch? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Leave us five stars. Any anyway, can leave five stars or just tell people about the show. And if you've enjoyed this episode, thought it was worth a dollar, head on over to our Ko-fi page at explosion.com slash support. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Keep watching stuff, I guess.